Hey, this is Amanda, women's health dietitian. And I'm Emily, nutritional therapy practitioner. And this is the Are You Menstrual podcast, where we help you navigate the confusing world of women's hormones and teach you how to have healthy periods. Each week, we will be diving into a different topic on women's health and sharing our perspective using nutrition, female physiology, and metabolic health. Our goal is to help you wade through conflicting health information and empower you on your healing journey. We hope you enjoy it. Ladies, so in this episode, we are going to be covering another foundational topic for hormone health, and that is light exposure and circadian rhythm. I'm sure you've heard of both of these buzz phrases in the wellness world, um, as they're both very important. And you can't really talk about one without talking about the other because they go hand in hand, and many women don't realize that they both have a significant impact on hormone health. So As you probably already know, our bodies take in everything in our environment as information, and light is a really big part of that. So the focus most often in the wellness sphere is reducing blue light exposure, which is going to be your your screen light and your artificial light. But we are going to talk about also how increasing sunlight is just as crucial. Um, So even it might even be more critical, to be honest with you, than reducing blue light. But we'll get more into that. Um, Our light exposure impacts our circadian rhythm. And this is our body's internal clock, which Amanda is going to cover in much more detail in this episode. So our circadian rhythm is what trickles down to impact digestion, hormones, sleep, energy, and so much more. So we hope you enjoy this episode because once again, we have a lot of good info for you. So what is circadian rhythm? It really comes down to the fact that it's our body's natural internal process that regulates our sleep-wake cycle, and it repeats about every 24 hours. It's actually slightly less than 24 hours, I learned, and I was like, oh, everyone always just says 24 hours. So it repeats almost pretty much every 24 hours, and it's most impacted by the light and dark cycles that are in our environment. So that's why, you know, Emily mentioned that everything in our environment is information because that our body takes in that outside information, whether it's like light, stress, heat, you know, temperature, that sort of thing. If you're somewhere where maybe you have like a pretty chaotic environment that you're living in, then all that, all those things are going to be processed by the body and it's going to impact how things are functioning. And sometimes if it's really positive and you have lots of great light exposure and a good environment, that's helps you balance your hormones and heal and makes your body more resilient. Uh, when you have a more stressful environment, maybe you don't get outside a lot, maybe you're indoors, you don't have a lot of that good sunlight exposure, then that can obviously have more of a negative impact on that internal clock. And so why does this circadian rhythm matter for our hormone health? The big thing is that not only does our circadian rhythm regulate our hormone production, but it also regulates our digestion, metabolism, and energy production. So these are all things that we've discussed that have, they trickle down and they're going to impact our hormone health. And when we think about it, that circadian rhythm, that internal clock is actually programmed into us. If you put someone 
in a room without them knowing what time it is, their body will naturally adjust to that circadian rhythm. They're going to produce melatonin in the evening and get sleepy at night. In the morning, they're going to have their stress hormones that make them feel more awake. And then that peak production is going to occur in the afternoon. So when this cycle gets disturbed, for example, if we go to bed at like four in the morning, then we're going to feel awful the next day. And I think that's one we can kind of all relate to. If you've ever had jet lag or if you stayed up super late, you're maybe you're traveling, um, that you just feel terrible, almost like you're hungover that next day. And if you continue to abuse this circadian rhythm for months on end or years for many people, it's going to put ourselves at risk of hormone imbalances, digestive issues, and increase that stress response within the body. I think it's so fascinating that the body just innately knows, like you said, it has that internal programming and it just goes to show how intelligent it is, but also how connected to our environment we are, which I think is just very interesting. But let's talk a little bit about how your circadian rhythm impacts the body. I'm going to talk about during the daytime. So one big way is digestion. And it's going to help regulate our stomach acid and our digestive enzyme production. So we've talked about in the past why this is so important for breaking down nutrients, digesting the food you eat. That's pretty much the basis for everything else in the body, right? We need these important nutrients to help every system work. It's also going to increase the hormones and enzymes for absorption as well. It increases beneficial bacteria for digestion also. So as you can see, the circadian rhythm plays a huge role in just how we digest and absorb our food. But it also impacts blood sugar. So did you know that too little or too much blue light can actually impact insulin signaling? And that's a huge factor for blood sugar balance. So we need insulin to shuttle the blood sugar into our cells. And without proper insulin signaling, this is going to go all haywire. So light exposure means a lot when we think about blood sugar. And we'll kind of go into this further in the episode as well. And then lastly, our metabolism. We need to make energy during the day, and that's going to be affected by our circadian rhythm as well. So it's going to help energize us in the daylight hours. And as Amanda will talk about, kind of slow us down during the darker evening hours. Yeah. So it's really, it's making it so that everything is getting going during the day. And then at nighttime, as a big part of that circadian rhythm is your cortisol dropping. And as that stress hormone decreases, our body's able to make more melatonin. And that's a hormone that actually helps us feel sleepy, fall asleep easily, and then stay asleep throughout the night and wake up feeling like you've had restful sleep. So it's really important for our sleep quality. We also do a lot of detoxification at nighttime. It's really important to get that consistent sleep and hopefully avoid waking up too much at night, mainly for that liver detoxification. But we also work on our brain's natural detox process, which is called the glymphatic system. All that happens at nighttime. So if you are someone that's struggling with brain fog, cognitive issues, and you aren't sleeping well, this is a huge reason why. And then of course, things like recovery. I mean, I I feel like a lot of people know this, especially if you exercise, strength train, anything like that. If you've ever been an athlete, 
athlete, you know that sleep is one of those things that's pretty much drilled into your brain of like, you have to get good sleep. Otherwise you're not going to recover properly. Your muscle tissues aren't going to rebuild. Um, but that can go for anything, illnesses as well, surgery, anything where your body is trying to repair and recover. All that stuff is happening at nighttime. And then lastly, we do have a shift in our gut bacteria again at night. So Emily mentioned during the day, we have that shift and we have more bacteria that actually help us break down and digest and absorb food. At nighttime, it shifts to bacteria that support detoxification since that's going to be that main process that's occurring at night. So as you can kind of guess, our circadian rhythm impacts so many different systems in the body, and these are all going to directly and indirectly impact hormone production and just overall balance, right? So super important. And we're going to go into what influences our circadian rhythm the most. So what kind of things during the day or during the night are we doing or not doing that's going to impact this internal clock? And I think two of the biggest ones are going to be eating and light exposure. So eating regularly and being mindful of your light exposure can help support circadian rhythm balance and reduce stress and compensation within the body, which is super important for keeping a healthy circadian rhythm. If we're eating all of our food or a good chunk of it late at night, that is going to be a little stressful to your body. And it's also going to throw off that circadian rhythm, right? If if your body's getting that signal of like, okay, I'm taking all this energy. I have to do all this digestion now. Uh, it's, it typically doesn't go well. And Emily and I were just talking about this before we hit record and she was saying, oh, it's, you know, she eats a lot, a big snack later at night. If she's up later than her body is used to, then she feels like she doesn't digest it as well. And it makes sense because say like you're up past your typical bedtime, your body isn't used to that. Your body temperature has most likely already dropped, which slows down your metabolism, helps you sleep well, stay asleep, keep the blood sugar balanced. And so it would make sense that you wouldn't do super great with digesting things at nighttime. So avoiding all the food later in the day is huge. We see that a lot. And I don't think that women really, one, we need to eat during the day. We got to fuel all the things that we're doing, brain, physical activity, all that stuff. But then two, when we have all that food at night, it really does throw off that circadian rhythm. Yeah. And it can be kind of a double-edged sword because I'm a huge fan of the bedtime snack, which I know a man is as well, but I'm also someone who needs to be in bed by no later than 9 p.m. <laughs> so when I'm eating a snack at 9 p.m., my body doesn't always do as well. Like you said, Amanda, it's probably because my temp has already dropped. My body is preparing itself for sleep. And so it's just eating throughout the day for me is huge to make sure that I don't necessarily need this big bedtime snack right before I'm hitting the hay. So that's a big one. But this is going to be, I feel like, resonant for all of you or maybe just me. But exposure to blue light and screen time, as I mentioned earlier, that's going to be really important to reduce as we get closer to bedtime. And we'll go into the specifics on this, but I'm sure most of you by now have heard how blue light does affect sleep, and it has to do with your cortisol and your melatonin production. But this is just going to be huge as far as just kind of turning off the screens, getting your phone out of your hand, wearing your blue light blocking glasses um, to help really wind down and to increase that melatonin in the blood. Yeah. And if you, if you're someone that has blue light in your bedroom, that's another big one. So it's, it's kind of flip-flopping your body's schedule, right? We're not following, we should be following what's happening outside. So when, when it starts to get dark, you want to start to dim 
the lights in your environment. And that's going to help avoid that cortisol production, like Emily mentioned. Uh, and that's going to make it so that you can make melatonin. Cortisol and melatonin are antagonists. So if your cortisol is high, your melatonin is going to be low. And that's why things that we can do to regulate our food throughout the day, consistency, light exposure, they have such a big impact. So if you're someone that has a TV in your bedroom and keeps that on while sleeping, that can impact your melatonin and sleep quality. Or maybe you have Uh, bright lights that can get in there, like trying to get some sort of shades, blackout shades, those can also help block some of that. And that's going to help support how much melatonin you're making, how deep and restful your sleep is. Another one is skipping meals or having an erratic eating schedule. I joke that our bodies are very much like toddlers. And if you have a toddler, you'll totally get this. They love routines and they love to be in the know. And when you kind of push them out of their routine or do something new or different, they freak out. I feel like our bodies are very similar to this. The routine of having a regular eating schedule makes them feel safe. It makes them produce energy. And we want to be doing that during the day at very predictable times to support our circadian rhythm. And then another one is like, if you have a lot of changes in your sleep schedule, probably the most classic case that I see is having a pretty similar schedule sleep schedule on the days that you work or which is usually weekdays for most people. And then on the weekends or on your days off, it's like drastically different. You know, maybe you're staying up a few hours later, waking up a few hours later, that will impact your circadian rhythm and that internal clock as well. And this typically shows up in how well you sleep. So like, do you fall asleep easily? Do you stay asleep at night? Are you getting into that deep sleep and the quality of your sleep? So having lots of changes in that sleep schedule, obviously traveling and experiencing jet lag is kind of the example I used in the beginning for what happens when that circadian rhythm is off. So imagine if you're doing this on a weekly basis to your body, it's it's a lot. doesn't mean you have to wake up at the exact same times, but trying to get within like an hour is going to be a lot less stressful for your body than going for like a three to four hour gap difference. Lastly, minerals play a huge part in your circadian rhythm because a lack of minerals can negatively impact sleep and adrenal health. So when you have a depletion in minerals, that's often a sign of an exhausted stage of stress where stress hormone patterns are dysregulated, and this can definitely make sleep difficult. So we want to make sure that we're getting enough minerals, we're balancing them out in order to support our sleep patterns, and then just not being in a flight, fight or flight state all the time. We don't want to be in that sympathetic state 24-7 because that can definitely throw off our sleep as well. So if you're someone that's done a hair mineral test and you're wanting to see if your mineral status could possibly be impacting you, you'd want to look at your metabolic type. We have a whole episode on this. And if you're that fast metabolic type, it's pretty common to have sleep issues, but the fast four is the most common because these are the people that are in that lower mineral state, a lot of the minerals are below the optimal line. Things are depleted. So your thyroid and your adrenals have slowed down, but your nervous system is still stressed. Basically the most amount of dysfunction that you can have show up on your hair test. And when that nervous system is out of balance with the rest of your body, that internal clock is going to be off. So if you want, if you're like, I don't know if my minerals show that I could have sleep issues, it's usually the fast metabolic type and the fast four. So what happens to our bodies when this circadian rhythm is off? Like say you fall into the category of, or some of the categories that we just mentioned of like, maybe you're getting lots of blue light at nighttime. Maybe you don't have a consistent sleep schedule. Maybe you don't have a consistent meal schedule. You don't eat breakfast. You eat a lot of your food later in the day. 
what happens, and this is an explanation that I love from Dr. Mariana Fuguero, where she said, if you don't get the timing signals your body needs, you will most likely fall asleep and wake up around 50 minutes later every day. Pretty soon your body's clock will be out of sync with your daily schedule. So it doesn't always happen overnight. And I think this kind of perfectly describes our health journey, especially from the moment that you kind of realize that all these issues and symptoms are popping up for you. It's usually like we reach a point and we're like, this is the day that everything kind of changed. And it's all that time leading up to that day that your body is slowly compensating and getting more and more out of balance. And so I feel like if you have that idea in your head of like, okay, we're slowly getting even less than an hour of dysregulation out of balance every single day, it can creep up on you. Like all of a sudden you're just completely off. Correct. And the more wrong signals that we give our body um, at the wrong times, this will shift your clock even further out of balance. So it can just kind of compound on itself further and further until you feel like you're experiencing jet lag all the time, as Amanda mentioned. So you're just tired all the time. You just can't get the right amount of sleep or good quality sleep. You're eating at the wrong times. Your digestion is off. And then, of course, the cascade of hormonal chaos, right? It's really important to get your biological clock in sync with the environment in order to support all of these natural systems that are taking place in our body. And it's the, when you think about it, like having jet lag all the time, that like really resonates. And I I think it will resonate with a lot of people listening to this podcast because one of the most common main complaints that women come to see me with is fatigue, you know, mm-hmm. fatigue, no appetite, poor digestion, constipation, difficulty falling asleep, staying asleep. That's literally jet lag, right? Just like pure mm-hmm. exhaustion and all your systems are off. And I think that the world that we live in today, like this is just what we kind of get, you know, we're always in a rush. People are not prioritizing eating at regular times. You know, we're pushing off, we're working through lunch or not eating it at all. We're intermittent fasting and skipping breakfast. We're always on the go and we're inside a lot, at least most people. So the people that are most at risk for having this imbalance in their circadian rhythm and not having that internal clock match their external clock, which is basically the light and dark cycles outside, those are people that are constantly looking at a screen, usually spend a lot of time inside. Um, The older population, for sure, right? If I used to work in nursing homes and I think about like we, they did not get outside enough. (laughs) You know, they're not getting all that good blue light exposure from the sun. Uh, So our biological clock is going to be completely thrown off. And I think about like, what are the different ways that we can measure this? Obviously with your energy, you can look at cortisol levels. So if you ever do like a Dutch hormone test and you look at your cortisol pattern throughout the day, um, that's obviously one way to measure it. Melatonin production at nighttime, but even your body temperature, right? Like we, obviously we've talked about basal body temperature. I feel like so much on this podcast and, um, we went pretty in depth on that PCOS part one episode. And when we think about, you know, your temperature is the lowest, the first thing in the morning when you wake up and then it, rises throughout the day and it goes down again at nighttime. So you could measure your body temperature throughout the day and see if you're experiencing those shifts. And if it starts to go down at nighttime, 
And that's going to give you some indication of how that internal clock is doing. So lots of different ways to kind of look at this stuff. But I think if we're going to dig deeper into one specific area that we've we've talked about before in circadian rhythm, it's really our meal timing. That's something we have a lot of control over. Everyone has to eat. So when we think about how our bodies are actually more sensitive to insulin and carbohydrates when it's light outside, a lot of people that talk about weight loss or have specific weight loss programs really do harp and focus on this. And they talk about eating when it's light. And I don't always agree not eating when it's dark because I think that sometimes you might need a bedtime snack or something like that. I don't think it's bad, but I think really trying to prioritize eating within an hour of waking and then trying to eat consistently throughout the day and not waiting until nighttime can do wonders for your internal clock. Hey, Amanda here, just giving you a quick break, hopefully a a break for your brain in the middle of this podcast episode to remind you that if you haven't gone through our free training, optimizing hormone health through mineral balance, we really do recommend starting there. And the main reason for that is because you're going to hear us say things like mineral foundation, having a solid foundation, are you putting the foundations in place, especially what was, we get deeper and deeper into different hormonal topics and specific imbalances in the body, the, the mineral foundation it's always going to be so essential. So if you haven't watched the free training, you can find it in our show notes or you can go to hormonehealingrd.com and it's going to be right on that front page there. But we really recommend starting there so that you can understand how is your current mineral status? How do you assess this and how to get started with all that just so you can get as much as you possibly can out of the rest of the podcast episodes. But that's it. I hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Yeah, we love to harp on eating breakfast within an hour because this is going to signal to your body, hey, you know, I'm done sleeping, I'm done fasting, let's kickstart that metabolism. It just keeps you in sync with that circadian rhythm when it's light out and you are up and at them, you're trying to produce energy. Eating is going to be the best way to signal to your body, aside from getting light in your eyes, which is another great way, but definitely eating that first meal is just going to be really helpful for kickstarting all the different processes and getting your metabolism going for the day. And of course, we want to make sure that you're eating a balance of protein, fat, and carbs. So just trying to make sure you keep your blood sugar stable and pairing those macronutrients together for that. And then trying to eat somewhat similarly day to day. I, and like how Emily said, how like toddlers, kids, they have a schedule, right? When we're younger, we all follow a schedule. We have a bedtime routine, all these things that we implement. And we do it because we know that it's healthy for kids, but it's healthy for adults too. And so if you can tell your body and give it that consistency of like, okay, we eat within an hour of waking and then we eat at these pretty similar intervals throughout the day, at least most days a week, I would say. It doesn't have to be perfect every day. This is not about perfection. It's just about getting your body into a schedule, giving yourself routine, and it does help you eat more as well. I think when we don't have that planned out, like things just get busy and it's really easy to be like, oh, I didn't even, I didn't have my lunch I didn't even think about when I was going to eat it today. It's not in my schedule. Uh, now it's something that you're skipping or you're eating at like four o'clock, you know? So I think trying to be somewhat consistent, if you're eating really erratic meals right now, I would just say start with focusing on one. Our clients always start with breakfast. If they don't eat breakfast pretty soon after waking, that's the first thing we recommend focusing on. And once it's probably the easiest, like it's, it can be hard for some people, but once they get it down, like they'll, they'll have that habit for the rest of their life. 
Again, if you're someone who doesn't wake up craving food, start with something small like gummies. We tell our clients, start with a gummy or two, you know, that has some some protein, some fat, carbs, um, but it's just a great Eat three gummies. Okay, Eat three gummies. Three gummies. <laughs> One gummy. Listen, my gummies are really big. I don't know about you, but. <laughs> oh, are they? Mine are like, the, I use the silicone ice cube tray, so mine probably aren't as yeah, big. Yeah, mine come in like, they're like a cup and I, I cut them in half. So it's a pretty big gummy, oh, okay. but use your own, use your own discretion. Like you can decide how much gummy you want to eat, but that's just a really quick way to get in your breakfast first thing in the morning and get that metabolism revved. Um, and then I would say just put a timer or an alarm on your phone. If you really need a reminder to eat lunch during the day, set one on your phone for noon or whenever you want to eat and make sure that you don't just ignore it. Like that's a really great way to just kind of get yourself more into the habit of eating regularly and actually taking a break from whatever you're doing to eat. I had to do that when I worked a full-time job um, in editing and magazine publishing. Like it was so busy that if I didn't put a timer on my phone and an alarm to you know, tell me to eat. Sometimes I would just go the whole day without stopping. I may, I would maybe have like a protein bar at like three, which is just insanely unhealthy. <laughs> so that's a good tip for all of you busy, busy people out there. But the last one we want to mention um, for meal timing is just to try to avoid eating all of your food at nighttime. And this is not a tip to kind of say that eating at night, like Amanda said, is bad or will make you gain weight or, you know, anything like that. It's not It's not necessarily going to make or break your health. It's just a matter of teaching your body to expend energy throughout the day and not preserve energy throughout the day. Because when we do that, we're going to, it's going to lead to stress hormone imbalances, right? And that's going to make falling asleep more difficult. So just trying to kind of I don't even want to say front load your meals, but just eating regularly. That's kind of the whole point of this of this tip and not so much at one specific time of the day, especially at night, right before you're about to go to bed. And everyone needs to eat all day. I think this is something that's really easy to think, well, why PCOS? Should I do intermittent fasting? Or uh, if you have insulin resistance, you're trying to put more time between your meals negative. I think that everyone, <laughs> I'm sassy because I'm in my luteal phase. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I think everyone has to eat regularly. It's just probably one of the most common questions that I get when we, especially when, if we do like a newsletter on this topic or an Instagram post, people are like, oh, but I have X, Y, and Z. So I should only eat like two or three times a day. And it's, and like everyone's different. If you found something that really works for you, obviously stick with it. But we find for the majority of people, like it doesn't matter if you exercise a ton or not. It doesn't matter if you have a sedentary job, you have to fuel your body. Or even if you have weight loss goals, literally doesn't matter because if you're under eating, then you're, everything's going to slow down. Metabolism slows down. Then you have all these hormone issues crop up. And that's really where insulin resistance will start to kick in. Make sure that you are fueling your body throughout the day. And I know it can feel weird. We can have a lot of feelings come up around food. Uh, snacking can be really hard because you're kind of like, I have a few clients that 
they, they're like, well, I feel like I have a lot of weight to lose and like, I don't need to be eating so consistently. And it's like every, everybody deserves nourishment. We have to remember that no matter what you want to change about it, avoid waiting until nighttime to eat all that food. Even if you just think about your bacteria, like how Emily was going through the daytime stuff, you know, you, we make more bacteria that helps you digest your food and you make more stomach acid during the day. So if you don't take advantage of that, of course, you're going to have GI issues and sleep problems at night. Um, but th- those are kind of like the meal timing tips. Just start slow, implement those like one at a time. And then eventually I think you, your appetite improves and that part of your internal biological clock does start to match that external light and dark cycle. Um, when it comes to the other big one, which is light exposure, this is the one that most people focus on, but food and meal timing is just as important. But the light piece is that other part of information that we're getting from the environment. And when we are exposed to light, we produce neurons, and those are just messengers that share information in the body. These are activated by bright light, and they're deactivated at nighttime when or when we don't have that light exposure. So this is why when we look at a bright screen at nighttime, it's harder to go to sleep because your body thinks that it's daytime and my should be making cortisol and my digestion should be going. When we spend a lot of our days indoors and we're not getting that light exposure, you can have the opposite and be very tired and fatigued during the day and then even feel that way when you wake up in the morning. And this is something that our ancestors definitely benefited from without all the technology, because if you think about it, you know, before electricity, before screens and electronic devices that emitted these lights, they didn't have a choice, right? They rose with the sun and they went to bed when the sun went to bed. So there was really no other choice and their circadian rhythms were very much intact as, you know, generations of people and as a society. Whereas in the world we live in today, unfortunately, this is very disorganized. We are living in a disorganized cycle of difficulty sleeping, lots of fatigue during the day. And this is all being driven by our light exposure and our meal timing or lack thereof. So it's just really one vicious cycle. And of course, we have to be grateful for, you know, the technology advances that we have today. There's lots of good in it. I know there's a lot of night shift workers that love their job and are absolutely thriving because of the work they're doing. But at the same time, we do have to be mindful of how these advances are affecting our health and really work to do whatever we can to kind of combat that, right? So What is going to be the key to optimal light exposure that also supports our internal clock? Well, it's as simple as looking outside and just going by what the sun is telling you to do. You need to use the sun as your guide. And one of the best things to do when you first wake up, since we know, okay, my internal clock has woken me up, or maybe it was your alarm, and you're making that cortisol, we need to get that light exposure. Even if it's not sunny, you still want to get outside because you're going to get those different wavelengths of light. And then that's going to tell your body that, Hey, we're awake. It's time to get that metabolism going, get digestion going, have energy balance those other, you know, reduce that melatonin and get your cognitive function kind of in a good place. And that helps support all that stress hormone level regulation throughout the day. So if you're someone that has a lot of fatigue later in the day or feels super wired at nighttime and can't sleep, getting that light exposure first thing in the morning is really helpful. And even though it's, you know, that light exposure first thing is helping you make more 
cortisol in the morning, it actually does help you make more melatonin at night. Because remember, it's it's making sure that you're regulating that internal clock to match that external clock. So when it's light out during the day, you want to make sure that you are getting light exposure. That's the key. Like Emily said, we're not spending all day outside anymore. Most people are inside the majority of the day. And so if you can at least have a well-lit room that you're working in, maybe be near a window. That would definitely be the most optimal and get outside as much as you can, even if it's for a five-minute break midday. That is better than nothing and not use blue light blocking glasses during the day. Like you can use some like computer glasses to protect your eyes from excessive amounts of blue light. But if you use the 100% blue light blocking glasses during the day and you wear them outside, your body's not getting those signals that it's daytime. And that can also mess up your circadian rhythm. Right. And I think I used to demonize all blue light exposure. So I used to think that maybe wearing blue light glasses during the day was, you know, a okay thing to do or a good thing to do. But as Amanda said, like, that's not the right approach. We need to get light in our eyes during the day. This is going to send the right signals. But then, of course, when the sun does start to go down, it's important to do things like dim the lights in your home. That's when it's great to re- start reducing that blue light exposure. Maybe put the screens away if you can do that. If not, put on those blue light blocking glasses. And another trick, too, is if You can have like red light bulbs or salt lamps are really good for this, like around your house just to keep the lights on so you're not in pitch black, but you still are having like this softer redder light to kind of help with that melatonin production. I think that's going to be a really good thing to prioritize at about eight, nine o'clock when that sun is, is gone. Well, as soon as it starts dimming, and this is going to change you around. I feel like right now it's late, so late. It's so it's late. It, it's weird. It's like nine o'clock for us. <laughs> yeah, it's like eight o'clock. It's still not that dark here yet. So mm-hmm. um, this will obviously change based on the time of yeah. year. You want to follow that because that's very normal for our bodies. The other thing, like Emily mentioned, the red lights. Be careful. I had a friend that replaced all her light bulbs. I don't know if I ever told you this. She replaced all her light bulbs with red lights in her house. <laughs> And it completely ruined her sleep for like two months. Yeah. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. It was a long time ago when red light first started getting really big. It was probably like eight years ago. Mm. Um, we were, that was like when I first got exposed to red light and stuff. So, it like she got all the bulbs, she switched everything out, thought she was doing a really good thing, and then it totally ruined her sleep wake cycles and her circadian rhythm. It's, it like was very sad, but she's also like kind of a cool science experiment and reminds you how important light is. One thing that we did, well, we did it in our tiny house. We have to do it in our new house, but we had dimmer switches on all of our lights. And I swear that made such a big difference. They're not expensive and they're pretty easy to put in that you just have to have the right light bulb. But you can get those at like a Lowe's or Home Depot or whatever, put them in. And then that way you have control over dimming the lights and they can get pretty low. So we didn't, if you don't want to get red lights or if you don't feel like the salt lamps will be enough light, I can't recommend trying the dimmer switches enough. I feel like it's such an easy one to do too. Yeah, that's a really great idea. And just to follow up on the red light thing, I bought a red light bulb just for my bedroom lamp for when I'm kind of going through my nighttime routine and want to get sleepy. And then I also have a salt lamp by my bed. So that's kind of the only place in my house where I'm like, okay, let's use this red light. I can't imagine using red light just throughout the day. I feel like that would drive me insane. I know. And like Gemba 
I think it's, I think that's how you say it, Gemba Red. They have a strip, like a red light strip. When it gets dark, it'll automatically go on, like if there's motion in the room. But a lot of people get those for like their bathroom, their bedroom, stuff like that. So there's definitely options if you don't want to like be constantly exposed to blue light or if you notice a difference. But yeah, there's, there's different ways you can kind of minimize that blue light exposure. The whole point is just like during the day, we need light. Nighttime, we need darkness. And I want to kind of shed some insight on blue light itself, because like I said, I think, you know, we tend to demonize it in the wellness space as if all blue light is bad. But let's just go through what blue light is. So blue light has a short wavelength, which means it contains more energy, which would make sense why it boosts alertness. So it's been shown to increase productivity and cognitive function in the brain, which is a huge positive, unless, of course, you're trying to sleep or having difficulty sleeping because of blue light exposure at night. And a big part of why it's boosting that alertness is because that blue light stimulates cortisol production. So there's been a lot of research around blue light exposure at nighttime, and it has been shown to cause an increase in cortisol levels 30 to 60 minutes after falling asleep, which I think is interesting because we have quite a few people that either struggle to fall asleep or struggle with staying asleep at night. So if you wake up a lot at night, I would definitely pay attention to that blue light exposure. And as Amanda said, when our, our cortisol production goes up, our melatonin production goes down. So it suppresses melatonin. And that's, you know, especially at nighttime, this can lead to lower melatonin levels. That's going to keep us more alert. So, you know, nine, 10 o'clock, you don't want to be super alert, right? But in the morning, natural blue light from the sun helps us wake up, which is a real big positive. And then if we think about blue light in our blood sugar, this is a, a really big area. Obviously, we talk about blood sugar all the time. We're always trying to encourage women to eat consistently to balance their blood sugar. Cause you know, if your blood sugar goes up, it's eventually going to come down and then you're going to release that stress hormone cortisol. And it just, you know, it eventually is going to wear out your adrenals, use up a lot of mineral resources and just push those hormones out of balance. And when it comes to blue light and our blood sugar research actually shows that blue light exposure at night after the sun goes down reduces our tolerance of glucose. So how well we're going to use that fuel source and it can impact insulin secretion. So this leads to high blood sugars at night, which means that eventually those are going to drop and then most likely wake you up. So that's definitely something that's going to create this vicious cycle of highs and lows in blood sugar, um, highs and lows in stress hormone, and can impact sleep, hormone balance, and even just like your mood throughout the day. I think that's so interesting, its effect on insulin and blood sugar. So I feel like everything affects insulin and blood sugar. It's it's just such such a sensitive thing, but I think it's cool that light does as well. So last thing we'll say about blue light is that sunlight is a natural source of blue light. And the difference between now and when our ancestors were alive was that the sunlight used to be our only exposure to blue light. So you can see how with all of the, you know, added screens and tech things that our exposure has kind of gone through the roof through fluorescent LED lighting, all of that stuff. It's just why it's important to be mindful of how we balance it with natural sunlight. And and that's the difference, right? Like our bodies are going to interpret blue light from the sun differently than blue light from inside your house and like an LED light. And when it comes to sunlight, obviously it's important during the day because it's going to help keep that internal clock in a good place and match the outside external clock of like light and dark cycles. But sunlight's also really important for our immune system, hormones, and then preventing copper 
from turning into iron. So when it comes to that immune system, we actually have a specific uh, enzyme that gets activated by sunlight. It's called cytochrome P450, and that converts vitamin D to the absorbable form. So our immune system needs vitamins A and D. I feel like D gets all the credit, but a vitamin A is so, so important for the immune system. And sunlight helps to synthesize that vitamin D, of course. I feel like that's what most people kind of know sun exposure for is that you get that vitamin D, but it also helps break vitamin A down into retinoic acids. And then we use those in the body in order to take vitamin A and carry out all the different processes. So immune system, it's important for thyroid receptors, vitamin D receptors. We need it obviously to take copper and use it in the body. So um, that vitamin A is a huge, huge portion um, of why that immune system is benefited from sunlight. When it comes to hormone production, of course, we're going to get that that melanin production in our skin from the sun, um, that pigment, and then that helps to activate the POMC gene. And that's really important for sex hormone production, as well as for endorphins. So those like feel-good hormones, and then leptin, which helps regulate how much fat your body is holding on to. So it's huge for hormones. And then lastly, that copper piece, we did a whole episode on copper and iron. But again, like if we get that, if that sun breaks down vitamin A into the different uh, metabolites, and then we're using that vitamin A to activate copper, that's what helps us keep that iron moving in the body. And I mean, that excessive iron, it can lead to estrogen issues. It can lead to um, exacerbation of endometriosis, gut issues, inflammation in general, and just hormone dysregulation. So having sunlight, sun exposure consistently, I feel like it's one of the best things that you can do for your health and something that I know a lot of people are afraid of, but we don't have to be. For real. Thank you, Amanda. That was a great explanation of the benefits of the sunlight. So we, I'm just going to simply recap kind of what we've talked about in this episode and the main takeaways. One, don't be afraid of the sun. Get outside when it's light out. This is going to really help kind of bring your body back into balance with that circadian rhythm. Eating breakfast within an hour of w- waking and regularly throughout the day. Start dimming your lights and reducing your blue light exposure when it starts to get dark out. So use the sun as a guide for when to dim those lights and get that kind of light out of your eyes at night. And then don't consume all of your food at night. So again, eat regularly, make that energy, encourage your body's metabolism to make that energy throughout the day and to start slowing down at at night. And I'm going to put a few resources that we have. Like we have a blog on blue light, a blog on red light. I know we didn't talk a ton about red light in this episode. We kind of ran out of time there, but I'm going to link those in the show notes. I'm also going to link my favorite blue blockers in the show notes. And if you're like me and you have a prescription for glasses, you can get a prescription blue light blockers, which is why I went with this company. We'll put some resources for you in there. And I think the biggest thing, because this can be an overwhelming topic, especially if you're someone that's like, well, my circadian rhythm is really off. So my internal clock is definitely not quite in sync with that external clock. And I would just say, just pick one thing to work on. It doesn't have to be perfect. I think this is one of those things that 
takes time to kind of see a significant change in. If you're a more extreme person, go for it. But it's it typically tends to be a little bit more painful and like harder to build a routine around. But if you're someone that just starts eating breakfast and getting outside first thing, that's going to affect the rest of your day and how you sleep at night. So we can't stress enough how those little changes are really the ones that add up the most over time. So we hope that you found this episode helpful and we will see you in the next one. Thank you for listening to the Are You Menstrual podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a review and sharing the podcast with someone you think it will help. If you are new here, we can't recommend enough to start with our mineral imbalance quiz. This is going to give you an idea if you are at low, moderate, or high risk for mineral imbalances. And then of course, make sure you follow us on Instagram at hormone healing RD and consider signing up for our newsletter. If you like nerding out and you are just loving these podcasts, but maybe you're a little bit more visual and you want to see things too, we go into a ton of detail in our weekly newsletter. So we would love to have you join us there. All right. Thank you. And we will see you in the next episode.